hello and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape, usually from either my collection or Lindsay's collection, but occasionally we select, we find footage in a uh, <laughs> guest's collection. Today we have special guest returning to the show, Chad Hines, winemaker of Method Sauvage. Hey guys. Our first repeat guest. Yes. Back in action. First and back. He promised to bring us the Phantom with Billy Zane. I've got an explanation. But he got a different kind of specter for us today. True. So long story short, I had the Phantom on VHS. I went to my hometown to find it, and it seems like somebody has sold it or given it away or lost it. Then I went on Amazon and went to used VHS and spent $8 having it shipped from the East Coast. (laughs) And then when I went to investigate what happened to this, it had been returned to sender. The good news is that next time I'm on, I will bring the Phantom. (laughs) The bad news is that today I had to go with one of the three VHSs I still own. What'd you pick out? So I brought for you guys, for a few reasons, The Blair Witch Project. This movie came out when I was 11, so I was pretty young. Um, but I would say that this would be on the edge of one of the first big, important horror movies that I lived through, where mm-hmm. I was conscious of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it was a found footage horror movie, which at now doesn't sound like anything at all, but at the time, nobody knew what that meant. So it was really important for that reason. It was important also, for, as I'm sure we'll get more into, the viral marketing that actually happened before the movie was released and how that affected people's perception of it. Um, But inherently, what the movie we watched is is very simple. It's a early found footage movie uh, where three people are filming a documentary about a local legend, which is the Blair Witch. Uh, They do a little bit of interviews with locals about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then they take off into the woods for what's supposed to be a few days, I believe. I think, like, Max, they're supposed to return home on the third day. Yeah, it's like they go on the weekend, and they're going to be back by the the Monday. Uh, And what follows is really very simple progression. You know, they're going into the woods. They find a few locations that they're searching for. Uh, Then they get lost and stay lost. One member disappears, and that's kind of about it. They find a house, and that's the only real progression that happens in the movie. It's very yeah. simple. Um, but within that simple story and a simple presentation, a lot really is packed into it, especially outside of the movie. What was your experience with the Blair Witch Project, Lindsay? Were you, when it first came out, were you, did you, were your friends talking about it? I mean, everybody was talking about it. I didn't see it until later. I didn't see it until I was in high school. Um, and it came out when I was in elementary school. But I do remember hearing about it. I forgot that people had thought it was real, that they thought it was actually a documentary documentary footage that was found of lost people. The first mainstream found footage movie. It was Cannibal Holocaust in the 70s. Yeah. That wasn't mainstream. I don't yeah, think the, there were a lot of like those found footage type movies, but I feel like they were entirely in like the exploitation world. and. Mm-hmm. Only if you had, like, this grubby, like, banned VHS tape of it at the time, which you know what Cannibal Holocaust or something like that was. Yeah. When it came out, I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on VHS probably a year later at, like, a friend's house. Um, But I remember when it came out, seeing advertisements for it. And before I saw it, I was sort of raised by babysitters. 
Mm-hmm. And they were all, if I was 11, let's say they were like 17 probably at that time. And they and their boyfriends would often talk about things like a popular horror movie. And like it, Scream. Yeah, like Scream is a great example. So as a kid who was like very frightened of things but really fascinated with horror, I really tapped into those conversations and was like aware of them. And I remember, I believe it was one of my babysitter's boyfriends, like as this was all happening, like the week it was released, was talking about how he spent, like he saw the movie, he left and he was terrified because he was convinced that he was seeing a real documentary that was just being driven around to theaters. And he spent all night on the website looking deeper into what they set up for people to do, which is an intensive backstory and presented as though it's real, which before that seemed like it was even possible to fake. Like, I don't think as people, kids especially of 1999, we knew that that was a possibility, that somebody would do something like that to us. We had so much faith in, like, what we were presented. And the internet was so new at the time. I think we just take it at face value, because now we're so Mm -hmm. jaded, you question everything you see online. Yeah. So it's interesting for that reason. Um, So I knew that it was presented as real and then I remember I think shortly after it got huge financially there was a backlash because it became apparent that it wasn't and the actors ended up going like on talk shows and then it became kind of a joke pretty quickly once Mm -hmm. it was like oh this isn't real but even though I was 11 and didn't see it probably for a year after all this I was always able to hold on to that feeling Mm -hmm. of like what it was like when it came out and have kind of latched onto it so even when I watch it now it's hard to watch in a truly appreciate it unless you think about those things if you're just watching it the way we would watch any found footage movie now it's a little there's parts that drag on not that much really happens but if you think about it from the perspective of what if i was seeing this and i was convinced that this was just real footage it actually is very scary you know and so it's interesting for me from that perspective definitely how about you sean i remember seeing this in theaters with my dad, my sister, and my sister's friend. <laughs> and prior to this, I had already been exposed to things like The Exorcist and other things like that. Because it was... I've said on the show before, I had pretty cool parents. Uh, <laughs> once I got to a certain age, I could pretty lax on what I could watch. And I think that they understood, like, it was, these are things were, like, influencing me creatively. Like, Philip, who we had on the show, we did, like, our own Blair Witch parody movie. Like, <laughs> we we're... didn't know about it. Yeah, yeah. It's probably unwatchable, but it was called <laughs> The Blair Furby Project. Oh, God. And I remember that sort of being a thing for a while surrounding this movie, is there was just tons and tons of Blair Witch spoofs and knockoffs, and they would do that iconic confession scene <laughs> that Heather does in this film. And I do remember going to school and kids just being like, oh, you saw it? It's real. And me just being having to say, like, no, it's not. And, like, having, like, arguments with kids at school with, with like, kids who had not seen the film but had heard, like, it's definitely real. And, man, it's so messed up that they released it. But that just speaks volumes to kind of the vision of these directors well i mean you can barely call them directors but i guess just kind of the brainchild of daniel Merrick and eduardo sanchez who basically had the simple idea of casting three actors teaching them how to use the camera and sound equipment and then just kind of like having them walk all day just completely wearing them out and then just fucking with them at night and like (laughs) making them and like just taking the 90 hours of footage having massive faith in these actors that they would have something usable within Mm -hmm. that 90 hours and then editing something together that yeah just exploded at the Sundance Film Festival and was bought by Artisan for a million dollars and then 
promoted for with another twenty five million. Like the insane, that was a lot of faith. the insane gamble that they made on this, and it definitely paid off for them. I think that it ended up making. Um, what do you say two hundred forty million? Yeah, worldwide, it made nearly two hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah. Like, of an initial 60000 investment of actually getting it in the can, which is yeah. nuts to me. Yeah, just to quickly piggyback on the outside uh, marketing that happened. For one, it's the documentary, which I think it's called... Shadow of the Blair Witch? It's the Curse, Curse of the Blair Witch. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I've actually watched this movie just out of curiosity. I think I watched it for the first time like last year, because I heard about it after all this time. And it was like they made like an hour-long documentary... But almost an extension of the Blair Witch Project, because it's made by the directors, and it's an hour that is presuming to be in the universe of this movie, as though it was made after this footage was found. Mm -hmm. So it's basically another found footage movie, really, but it's more of a faux documentary horror movie. And it, what it does is it really plays out all of the backstory that you have presented in the beginning of the Blair Witch Project about... The murders in the 40s, um, the hermit, um, the original kind of Blair Witch who's, I think, like, banished from her town. And then there's, like, a resurgence of murders in the 90s. It plays through all of this. You have, like, the professors of the three uh, students who, like, let them borrow the cameras talking. So this was released on the Sci-Fi Channel a week before the movie came out. And after watching the documentary, which I actually really enjoyed, I like I happen to like um, fake documentary horror movies more than I like found footage movies. Uh-huh. Like I, something about if you have a really convincing group of actors talking as other real people and describing mm-hmm. scary things, I find that really effective because I'm so used to like listening to This American Life or things yeah. like that where you do take it as reality. Mm-hmm. So if you can kind of suspend your disbelief in that environment, it's like very terrifying. Whereas like a digital found footage movie, often it's very apparent that this is sort of scripted. After knowing that, I'm like, oh, it makes perfect sense that all these kids that went and saw The Blair Witch Project the week it came out could have easily at least heard about this or seen this kind of faux documentary about this Mm -hmm. movie on sci-fi. And then the other thing, which is I think maybe the craziest, is that outside of uh, wherever this is in Maryland, they put uh, missing posters of the three actors at all the college campuses <laughs> as though they were really missing. Kind of sick, <laughs> It though, is really. Yeah. <laughs> What's even crazier is the IMDb, which I think it just started up in, like, 97 or 98, it listed all three actors as deceased. It's crazy. And, I mean, it was, it was that was still when I think the IMDb was not, like, this big standard of information. I mean, it still is very, like, questionable, but um, it wasn't viewed that way, and I think it got to the extent that some of the actors' parents got, like, condolences card- <laughs> condolence cards in the mail. That's crazy. So, yeah, I think that there was kind of a division between people that thought it was real, like, that sort of bought into the marketing, and then other yeah. people that were just able to enjoy it as a fun, inventive horror movie. The other thing that's kind of funny is when you would mention there was a documentary about the making of this... Uh-huh. I assume that came later and they made this fictional documentary just make some more money out of yeah. it. But the fact that they actually were released around the same time is kind of nuts that they yeah. had that sort of scope. I'm guessing that once it was bought yeah. by, who was it, Artisan? Yeah. Oh, because then something then they, they gave had the money before it was released. In. If $25 million went into the yeah. marketing, that's yeah. probably a chunk of it. So, yeah. like, we're yeah. going to give you a million true. to make this shitty documentary yeah. <laughs> where the movie cost 60000 And furthermore, I remember the first time I saw the trailer in theaters was at Star Wars Episode One, oh, <laughs> which wow. is like which was like the huge money-making movie of yeah. 1999. Like, that... Huh. Before Blair Witch came along, that was like the cultural event of the year. Wow. Uh, 
And so I'm sure a trailer before a print of that must have mm-hmm. cost some money. That's true. And it was very much like the first viral ad in that it was just like them running through the woods. It was more like a teaser and it just said like either the title of the movie or just blairwitch.com, but I remember that being very struck by that because I was very much into horror at the time. That's a good point. I bet that explains how I was aware of it. Really, now that I think about it, just because I know I saw episode one at that yeah. age, that was yeah. important. But I don't know what, quite why I knew exactly what this was before it came out, mm-hmm. and that's probably how it like got into my psyche. Yeah. And then I listened to my babysitters talking about it, and I was like, <laughs> oh shit. I was just thinking, is what does BlairWitch.com look like now? We should mention that yeah. just recently, um, it was revealed that this horror movie called The Woods has now been revealed to be a... It's a sequel, technically. It's, yeah, it's technically a sequel. Um, it, it looks like BlairWitch.com, I just pulled it up, is the original site Oh, intact. that's awesome. <laughs> so, that's kind of fancy for the original site. Are, are you sure that's Yeah, the this is one? it. Because oh, you can whoa. tell how... Uh, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of got that shitty, you yeah. know, I'm surprised. I'm formatting glad, going I'm on. I'm glad that they haven't replaced it. Because yeah. this is movie history right here. And totally. there is a movie coming out in September called Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. Maybe they settled for BlairWitchMovie.com yeah. or something. Because yeah. I was thinking we'd need to go to Internet Archive to yeah. see the original one. But yeah, as of July 24th, 2016, you can still see the original site that your babysitter's friend spent hours (laughs) on combing through. Freaking out at night. Um, Well, let me derail this uh, conversation by talking a little bit about the ads on this oh, tape. Yes. I think Chad now holds the record for uh, longest ad block There on a is tape. a record number <laughs> of ads on this tape about for a tape episode. No, the, the thing that's crazy about it is it's not only that there's so many ads, but that they were repeating movies. Yeah. There were like at we least saw four it. advertisements for the movie we were watching. And two for Black Mask with Jet Li. <laughs> Um, slightly yeah. different versions of the same ad Very for that slightly one. Different. The movie is 81 minutes long, but if you count all of the ads and the bonus footage we get at the end of the movie, which is a whole other thing going on yeah. with this tape, I bet you this is a two hour long uh, experience that we had <laughs> all in. So the first ad is probably my favorite. It's an ad simply for the concept of renting and buying videotapes. We kept thinking it was for a rental store. It seemed like and it. it. And it was just like generic rental store but they didn't it was just it suddenly flashed on the screen video (laughs) so the scenario is there's a couple on the couch they're flipping through channels and they're like seen it I'm not in the mood for that. <laughs> and they think, wait a second, let's go to the video store. <laughs> and I kept expecting like a Blockbuster logo or a Hollywood video thing to appear. All that video. But it's just the concept of renting movies. And I maybe they were all artisan titles, but there are some weird movies that they are hide- highlighting, like Wishmaster 2, yeah. Cutthroat Island, Stargate. I noticed was yeah. in there. But yeah, I like the video ad. Which is weird, especially because that was on a video that we know from the, the sticker on your VHS that was originally sold through a rental store. Yeah. yeah. Shouldn't that be like on primetime TV, that ad? Not on a VHS where you yeah. rented it? And yeah. It, and it's also kind of in conflict with the ad later that they had for DVD. Multiple versions of DVD. Yeah. and, and <laughs> DVD 9 and DVD 18. I didn't even know there were different versions I, of DVD. It has something to do with the encoding and how compressed it is, but I, I vaguely <laughs> remember that being a thing, but not something that was like marketed to normal people as yeah. being a thing 
But yeah, like I do remember tapes at this time made a big deal about how sharp the DVD uh, picture was, mm. but they'd show you images in a DVD ad that was ported onto a VHS tape, so the message like was kind of lost. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Blair Witch Project is the perfect movie to watch on VHS tape. Totally. Yeah, it works like. very well. This is the first time where I really felt like it was adding to the experience and not detracting from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everything else it kind of detracts from it, especially because you're seeing it in full screen. It's you're in losing yeah. part of the shot. It's formatted to four by three. It's and it even has like a matte effect on it to make it look like you're watching it like projected. It has sort of those rounded edges. Kind of why I chose it. That's why I own it on VHS. Like, it's a confession now, but the reason I own this movie is because of a trend that happened about, uh, like, ten years ago where all these uh, used CD stores would start selling VHSs for, like, 50 cents or a dollar. Yeah. And so I would buy them just for fun. So they're not from my original collection. From like when Oh, I was a kid. there's been plenty of no, I tapes on this the show. That for were, the listeners. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. so this is a movie that, you know, I rented, I've seen it, and then as, like, a 20-something, just bought it on VHS because I was like, oh, I want to have that on VHS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly it. And I wrote down, when we just started watching it, that just from the very beginning, it has that creepy, like, snuff film vibe. Just because yeah. of the way it's it's shot, it's just like raw. It's a little invasive, mm-hmm. in a way that I don't really quite feel from a lot of the digital found footage movies now yeah. that are everywhere. Yeah. It was something grimy about it that having it on this tape, even though we watched all these corporate trailers before, which take you out of the realm of like, am I watching this? You know, but yeah. It's still it, it it it's in the it's in the same feel. You know, to have that texture and everything. Definitely. Yeah. We're followed up with a weird Bob Hoskins... I've never heard uh, of. Irish child murderer, apparently. It's called Felicia's Journey. Yeah. All of these artisan ads had this weird title effect where the title would zoom at you and then the letters would spread out. And it looks like it should be earlier than 1999 yeah. for the this The fonts effect. were like... The fonts um, are really bad. The fonts looked like the font of Silence of the Lambs. When it opens, oh. it's like this really black, bold, mm-hmm. and it really takes away from the image. And it's like, yeah. you go like, well, that was 1991. But mm-hmm. then this was like almost the year 2000, and they did the same kind of thing. Well, and they were, for some of them, they like one of them, it had a black outline and a purple font, oh, so God. it was really cheapening it. Yeah. And then they, they picked, because they were doing all this like bold serif uh, fonts, and then when they did the DVD ads, it transitioned um, to a sans serif, and it was mm-hmm. all in like lowercase and stuff. It was yeah. really weird. It's the future. It was the from future. 99 to 2000. That's what happened. Yeah, it totally changed. And then you get the sense that Artisan is just pushing as many movies as they can because they know everyone's going to go out and rent <laughs> the Blair Witch Project because everyone's still talking about it. The Way of the Gun, which I know there's a movie that that's a movie that some people really like to this. Heard it's of sort it. of it's it's definitely got a following. I myself haven't seen it, but some great people in it: Benicio del Toro, Ryan Phillippe, Juliette Lewis. But what's funny is you can tell they've barely shot anything of the movie yet because it's just one shot of like Ryan Phillippe limping down a hallway and then two guys with guns jump out and point him at the camera and it just cuts to black and it says the way of the gun. That's all you need. Yeah. As the names of the actors zoom at you in a weird font. Yeah, exactly. Our first horror trailer, Stir of Echoes. Oh, yeah. With Kevin Bacon, which I remember enjoying quite a bit. It's a lot of dramatic bacon faces. Yeah, a lot of bacon. Uh, cover of Paint It Black by Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you commented, Chad, that that might have kicked off the trend of having yeah. rock covers in trailers. Which I think was like crystallized with The Departed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then now it seems like if 
I especially see it now with like video games. Now that I don't it's, even play video yeah. games, but I'll see a commercial for them where they have a dramatic slowed down version like of a classic Dust in rock the song. Wind or exactly. something or so these kind of corny songs but they make them like really dramatic and add like dubstep like yeah. in the background of like a piano version. Yeah, it's very trendy now. Um <laughs> Then a then a weird ad for the Limey, which mm. is uh, Steven Soderbergh's uh, Terrence Stamp resurrection film. <laughs> uh, they're definitely marketing it like a an action movie. Oh, you know, I totally skipped twenty years. There's also an ad for Ghost Dog: Way of the oh, Samurai. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, with Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. The, uh, awesome. Which I is a see that. which is a great really movie. Um, Ghost Dog and The Limey are similar in that they're sort of art house directors doing somewhat action-y things, but they're marketed really heavily as action mm. movies, which is very misleading. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're already up to six <laughs> six trailers, <laughs> but we're just getting started, folks. Don't worry, guys. Then there's an extended ad for not just Artisan's DVDs, but specific styles and encoding <laughs> versions of DVDs. We start with DVD-9. Yes, so Stargate, folks, is coming... Oh, wait, hold on. Before we even get into the DVD stuff, they, the, there's the first mention of Black Mask, the Jet Li movie <laughs> oh, that's yeah, cashing okay. in on the Matrix craze. <laughs> we get an extended ad of uh, martial arts hero Jet Li jumping around <laughs> in a uh, black mask and killing people. And then it's DVD and it goes to Stargate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is available on a DVD-9. Mm-hmm. And I remember that Stargate was one of the DVDs that we got for free with our first DVD player when we got one in, actually, Christmas of 1999. My main thing that I remember about it is you have to flip it over halfway through. So maybe DVD 9 was just the really mm. shitty one. But I remember an early version of Goodfellas was like that, too, where you had to flip it over. So in a way, it was kind of worse than watching it on VHS because your experience was just interrupted as you flip it over like it's a laser disc. Did any of you guys have holdouts in your family DVD? Because my mom and I Mm. remember having like a discussion with my brother about whether or not it was really worth it to get a DVD player. VHS was just fine. Mm -hmm. And then we finally, like a little later than other families, got a DVD player. We watched DVD for a while and then I can't remember. As a family, we wanted to watch a movie, and my mom and I were just like, we got it on VHS. We can watch this. And my uh-huh. brother's like, it's going to look like shit. It's uh-huh. not going to be good. And I'm like, no, it'll be fine. And then we're watching it, and we're just like, how did we ever do this? <laughs> this is terrible. I have a dad who's like very into technology. So the minute a DVD existed, we started buying them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now well, the same thing with Blu rays, which I haven't even caught up with Blu rays yet. Yeah. I don't really own movies anymore. I'm a part of the everything's digital sort of, yeah. for good or bad. I just am. Um, so Thanks yeah, space. I didn't fall into quite that same vibe. But as you're describing this trailer thing, I'm realizing that we were really watching a movie that's the cusp of the new millennium. Because within this 15 minute long trailer escapade, we go from a commercial for VHSs to one platform of DVDs, then to another platform of DVDs within one trailer yeah. series. It's this kind is of a crazy. Special team and because... a movie that's kind of the first. First, yeah. of, like first of its kind. It's still exactly. being copied right now as we're sitting here. Somebody's filming Somewhere a found footage movie on our block. Someone is doing a found footage <laughs> yes. for our movie. <laughs> right outside. <laughs> and not only is it an important movie, but it's just an important sort of crossroads. I mean, mm-hmm. we as the DVD ad continues, we get a uh, drugstore cowboy, mm-hmm. another ad for Black Mask. <laughs> 
Which, was, which we were all like, what is yeah. this? I thought we were going crazy. Like, <laughs> it's I like it was I like, faked this. Like, I recut all of these and yeah. then put them on. Like, oh, they're going to think this and is... It really a- was like that old Saturday Night Live sketch <laughs> where they're sitting in the theater and the ads never stop and yeah. it breaks down into this Lord of the Flies survival situation where they're all just living in the theater. It's kind of like if Portlandia was alive during the VHS period. They would yeah. have a sketch about this where it just goes on and repeats over and over yeah. or something. They uh, we're almost through this, guys. They they <laughs> advertised the DVD eighteen version of The Stand, <laughs> and the big deal with good. the big deal about that is that it's a six hour movie all on one DVD. Now they don't clarify if that means you have to flip it over, or if yeah. it's all just on one mm-hmm. side. I like that they had a convenient image of four DVDs becoming one. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a big deal, folks. It's like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. They showed me. And then, uh, just when you feel like you're about to get into the Blair Witch, they show you a trailer for the Blair Witch Project, <laughs> and it says this summer. Yeah, available this summer. Despite the fact summer. that the the movie came out in the summer, the VHS came out in the fall. What is going on? Like they were too lazy to change it. It's the first of three trailers for the Blair Witch Project we would see today <laughs> on the VHS. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so I guess we should cut to, uh, after the movie is over. Wait, did you say both Highlander movies? Both oh, Highlander yeah. movies. <laughs> well, the first two. I think that there's more after oh, that. That's I think right. I blacked out during part of this. Yeah. I remember. The, the two that, uh, that Sean Connery agreed to be involved with. <laughs> so the um, only ones that matter. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's, there's another brief little ad before we get into the movie that promises newly found footage oh. after the movie. Continuing that, like, this is real vibe yeah. for the, the people that are just that dumb that by the time all this had gone by and now it's on VHS they'd be like oh yeah I heard this was real and this to me is just the most cynical like ringing you out of your last dollar because I remember being a kid and we rented it on tape so I think my mom could see it because it's like this is the sort of thing like even if you weren't a horror fan you wanted to watch this thing so you could be a part of the discussion I mean, that was was what was brilliant about it is that they built this like cult out of nothing and I remember being excited because the tape had advertised on the front of the box, like with a sticker or something, that there is new footage. <laughs> and all it is is... Well, do you guys want to explain what this new footage is? I mean, simply, it's basically all the dialogue from the whole movie, but as though the actors decided to say it all in one sitting inside of the tent over like five minutes. Really so awkwardly it's really and not with the natural vibe that they have yeah. in really, the actual movie. Yeah, it's really like on the scripting. nose. Yeah. On the nose, like, so you guys think it's the Blair Witch? Or you think it's just people messing with us? Like, all of the unspoken things yeah. in the movie mm-hmm. is spoken. But then they kept repeating it, too. It's just yeah. people messing with But Do you really think it's the Blair exactly. Witch? Exactly. It's like, maybe... I guess, you know what, That now that I think about it, because we've been talking about this, like, how much of this was scripted, how much wasn't, maybe what they read in that scene was the whole script. And then what ended up happening was they just parsed it. So yeah. then, like, day one, they do kind of one part of it. Day two, they kind of did another part of it. But right there, they just decided to like lay out the only bit, all the information they had as yeah. actors, you know. Yeah, I liked how you Tough were just felt. like, "This is for the dummies." Yeah, yeah, basically for like, you know, the guy who kind of blacked out in the middle of the movie woke back up. That was on. He's like, yeah. "Oh, whoa! Like, I didn't think about that." <sighs> yeah, because one of the powerful things about this movie is these actors slash college students. They use, it's the same names as the actors and the characters: Heather, Josh, Michael. A big part of what is kind of you know intense about it is just watching them kind of break down and lose it due to a combination of just dehydration and getting freaked out at night 
And there's a moment... Pretty convincingly. Yeah, for pretty, the most yeah, pretty part. convincingly. Yeah. I think that... I mean, it's part of that Stanley Kubrick mm-hmm. uh, philosophy of yeah. acting, which I which I don't know. I, I it's, take it's some issue with it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's sort of... Uh, I mean, I think the best policy is just hire really good actors and they mm-hmm. can figure it out. But Stanley Kubrick would famously do, like, 26 takes just to remove all of the acting out or of the actor. Takes. Or 100 yeah. takes. You know, <laughs> just to make them so exhausted that just what comes out is pure truth. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of where these performances come from. But literally in this bonus footage, at one point <laughs> Mike uh, says, guys, I'm really sorry I kicked that map in the creek. <laughs> and it's like, that's like the main plot point yeah, of the movie. It completely robs this scene, this crazy scene that was very memorable for me. <laughs> yeah. And is referenced in the Blair Furby project, I specifically remember, <laughs> of kicking the map in the creek. That's when they just break down and like they're contributing to their own destruction mm-hmm. just because yeah. they're so dehydrated. And just to have a later scene revealed where he's just like dudes i'm sorry i did that (laughs) really takes some some of the punch away offhanded with nobody even commenting on it and just continuing on with theorizing um we get another trailer for the player witch project (laughs) we're still in the trailers (laughs) (laughs) it's it's still coming out this summer folks so i guess summer of 2000 they'll uh and then i don't know i think there is a trailer for the website again at this point i was just mad yeah but yeah then we're finally uh let's finally just get into the movie itself i think we're a half hour into this podcast yeah. at this point don't worry the, the big blur witch heads are really into it right now yeah i have a few like thoughts about the movie that don't really have that much to do with the movie it's or like the action of the movie but more yeah. just like conceptually yeah so it's not technically a lot of action exactly mm-hmm. um so for one like one just like topic that i find interesting i've used this metaphor for other things in my life like different usually some sort of art Mm-hmm. And it's that I think this has the effect of, I call it the Pearl Jam effect, to where a band like Pearl Jam, even though now elements of their music can be kind of dated, I feel like overall they're kind of respected. They're mm-hmm. not quite Nirvana status, but yeah. they're a respected band who had like some classic songs. Eddie Vedder's, just, you know, he's a respected guy. They made some cool kind of different music. It was like revolutionary. But then some of the worst music in the world is basically ripping off Pearl Jam, which is yeah. like Creed. And all that, like, yeah. all like the yeah. that type of music, yeah. kind of Blair Witch era music. Oh my god, that's uh, a brilliant <laughs> analogy. So here's my thing: is that this movie comes out and it's like totally revolutionary, and then everything that follows is kind of the creed. Not not a hundred percent, but yeah. interestingly, watching this movie, some of the best things about it have a lot less to do with the found footage. There's people holding the camera, so it's low budget, and a lot more to do with the fact that it was unscripted. The actors were expressing sort of real confusion and fear, like you were just talking about with the Stanley Kubrick effect. Uh, it's like maybe what, what's what been trying to be captured again and again and never really succeeded since this, I would argue. I can't think of a time a found footage movie's been really effective. Is because they now try to script them as yeah. they're normal yeah. movies. It's, very, you know? it's, it's like heavily orchestrated. Where this yeah. one, they had complete freedom. They released these guys. They trained them to use the cameras mm-hmm. and the mics and release them in the woods. Like yeah. That takes an incredible amount of faith mm-hmm. that you're yeah. going to get something that works. And it does work. The actors themselves are the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, starting in 2000 with, I don't know if you remember this, but the St. Francisville oh, experiment. I never saw it, but I've seen that which, po- like the, the VHS yeah, cover. Which I remember seeing ads for when it was apparently directed DVD. Okay. That was the first time I saw, I, I didn't actually see the movie, but I remember that it dawned on me like, wait, there's going to be a lot more of these Blair Witch style mm-hmm. movies. 
like it's funny because there were quite a few uh, sort of shortly after the fact and then some time went by when it seemed like the trend had died out but then 2007 or 8 or whenever paranormal activity came out mm-hmm. that's when like the second wave just exploded and we're still very much in it also what's interesting to me is i feel like the second wave of found footage films is more just based on the way the film landscape has changed mm-hmm. it's harder to get a 10 or 15 million dollar movie made mm-hmm. and so it's much easier to do it sort of do it yourself style i think that you see that like i one of the more effective ones that i've seen recently is a movie with um one of the duplass brothers mm, creep that's true, yeah and I feel like that's a movie that I don't look at and think, oh, this is so scary. But I'm mm-hmm. able to appreciate it as like one that's done well. I would say it's probably one of my favorites, too, that I can think yeah. of in like recent yeah. memory. Can you think of any that have affected you since Blair Witch? As a f- found footage movie? Yeah. yeah. Not really. Yeah. I, and yet there's so many there's of so them. Many. I feel like there's one every month. Oh, probably, easily. The other thing that I thought about with this... And you put it pretty well by saying there's like a second wave of found footage, which is totally true with paranormal paranormal activity. Uh, what sets it apart for one is that paranormal activity and on is very focused on the fact that now we have like iPhones. You know, like yeah. found footage is so much more easy to explain because it's reasonable I could just start filming a thing at my window. Like the VHS yeah. the v- Exactly. Movies, yeah. Which is its own thing. And I, I could see how that's like inherently kind of a good idea and it makes sense with the way culture is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, part of what I like about Blair Witch is that they're trying to make a documentary. Yeah. And you have this first 20 minutes that is probably some of my favorite parts of the movie of just establishing the mood. And they're yeah. like in a small town, interviewing kind of very realistically creepy people, getting this like local legend. There's things like Coffin Rock, these things that... Um, remind me of being a kid living in like a suburban town where like behind your house there was the crack house yeah which is like an abandoned abandoned house with like weird behind Sean's house there was a crack house that they used to film things in (laughs) totally and there was like you know um, pentagrams on the wall and like people would go in there and drink and do weird shit and which like, and it's since been knocked down but now I'm kicking myself that wh- how is it that you and I never did a found footage horror movie <laughs> in know. that crack house it seems so obvious <laughs> so and yet we never did that yeah and I mean, that's like when I watched this movie for the end which is you know the crazy climax where it's nothing that much really happens but still just that image of that house after you've been in the woods and you're like oh yeah. fuck that house looks so wrong and I remember going into that crack house even when we were like in high school we'd go in there and it always there was a sense of unease because there would be yeah. like an attic you couldn't quite get to and you're like what's up there yeah and like, that's still scary to, even now just thinking about that like something strange about that environment and one of my well, sister's friends said this about the crack house I take it with a grain of salt apparently one of them claimed that they saw a noose hanging from a tree oh, yeah. outside uh, that might have just been their own uh, there, there was a rope in the front yeah. that could have been a noose and there was a weird well it was an interesting oh, place yeah I yeah, was just was thinking your thing about when in the in the movie, Chad, when you're like uh, when you were saying that it's just so weird when you get to the house, it's just mm-hmm. unnatural, and it's because the the film has kind of established their world has mm-hmm. become the woods, and they can't get out. There's no yeah. escape, and then they have that kind of thing where they're traveling south all day, but they come across the same log. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like space is moving around them. Yeah, totally. And so that's where it's kind of shocking when you suddenly have this house. The other thing I was thinking about is we were talking about this was kind of like a game changer film mm-hmm. and I was thinking about what what's the next big thing like do you think with I with know. all of this no this new like oh. Facebook live stuff coming up 
orchestrating some kind of film or event where you have this kind of fictionalizing that's presented as real mm. going up online live people don't know what's going on mm-hmm. kind of like Orson Welles did with his mm-hmm. radio show and people yeah. thought aliens were actually invading totally world the worlds do you, you think you know well yeah. it's fun I didn't hear your whole thing and then I said that what, yeah. I was, what I thought you were going to say was what's another thing that was game changing after this which uh, I was going to say that the ring was the next one yeah. And that was like 2002. Yeah, Japanese remakes and just yeah. PG 13 yeah, horror ring, in general. Rush. I would say that The Blair Witch Project and The Ring are the two horror movies in my lifetime that felt like events for me. Uh huh. That I remember like feeling like, whoa, that was crazy. I can't believe it. Like, I remember leaving The Ring, um, which I think I was 13 when that came mm-hmm. out. That sounds And so there right. was a woman in the front crying, and a person was like holding her and trying to calm her down. And then, like, me and my friend who I saw it with just walked around the theater a bunch of times waiting for my dad to pick us up. And we were, because we were, like, freaked the fuck out. Like, I've, and the movie's never affected me that way ever since then. Yeah. Is this the, the American the, one? Yeah, the American or? one. Because um, we lived in a town where you wouldn't see the Japanese one until, like, it came out on VHS later. Yeah. It's interesting that that film's legacy, I still think fondly of The Ring. And that would actually be a great one to have on this podcast <laughs> since yeah. it is a VHS it's, tape. Yeah. I look back on that fondly, the American one, and yet that one doesn't. For some reason, that's not as part of the conversation anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel, feel like, like it the might be kind. Grudge has taken over hmm. a little. Bit. I feel like it's, I feel like it's kind of revisionist history to say that it didn't really affect people when it came out. I think because it, did it definitely at the time. did. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody was talking about it. That totally. was another one that everyone saw. And it was so new to American audiences at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, to what you were really asking. And I don't even quite know what it is yet because I don't think we've seen it. Mm-hmm. But I think all this Pokemon Go stuff is really, like, <laughs> saying something about... Uh, for one, the Blair Witch's use of, like, all, like outside of the movie's um, advertisement. Yeah. And the way people can just walk around and experience things, which they're doing it in this kind of playful way. But if you could make a horror movie wherein you could have some sort of Pokemon Go-like game that's outside in your own environment. Augmented reality. Yeah, and like, even though, unfortunately, I don't know if you could pull it off to where you felt it was real, but if there was like an app that would set up a game like that and you didn't know the story yet, and this was like a week before the movie came out, yeah. then you like saw the movie where that was at play. Or would the game be the story itself? It, I mean, and that's would probably it involve more true. Slenderman? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, I was thinking you're tracking down yeah. spirits or something. Yeah. I think we're so old at least I feel that way, that like I can't really fathom how I could ever not have a movie at the core of this yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, the game would be a thing added to it. Well, I think that's just a personal preference. Yeah. I think to a lot of kids, though, they would be like, oh, I wouldn't need a movie if the game was scary enough. Like, if you made an app that was augmented reality, but where, like, I was hearing, like, my phone would be like, oh, there's something in the corner. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, maybe you wouldn't see anything, but you'd have this vibe, like, fuck, the game just told me there's, like, something watching me in the corner. I could see how in the future you could use technology to make like horror feel very real and like personal and invasive. That would be kind of crazy. I feel like that's how you have to revolutionize things really uh-huh. to be like a profound revolution. To actually really involve yeah. people in the story. Yeah. Or you could make it into like a purge scenario where like other people in the game are like going to the house to scare you because you're playing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then you have, like, the movie version where then they end up killing you to get points so they can get more ghosts or something. <laughs> like. Yeah, I'm also, like, in, like envisioning something where I, like, have to find the enemy. Like, yeah, like you have teams exactly. of people around and you're just scanning your phone and, like, suddenly you look like a melting zombie, yeah. rotting zombie. Or, like, you know, it'll be, like, a map appears of Berkeley where we are now. 
Um, and there'll be like a dot and you're like what's the dot you've got to go to it you go there it's like an old house you get there you click a button it tells you like information about the house and then like a light comes on in the house and you're like fuck you know like it's the style in which the film was made that has sort of become the legacy of this movie and yet so much of it is very old fashioned you know the uh I mean, it's not a violent film. It mm. mostly gets an R, I think, for language. and mm. like, That's the craziest thing. There's almost yeah. no blood. Yeah, there, it's really the only moment is when she finds the... Uh, the uh, After Josh disappears and she finds the twigs bound up in a piece of his shirt, which is so horrifying because it's really the only moment when you see any blood or gore. And he she opens it and finds the hair and the teeth and what looks and like a tongue. tongue. And that was the weird thing where she finds that, but then later with the house, but I guess they're all del- they're delirious with lack of food and stuff. Mm. But like when they're going to the house and they're hearing him shout and they're trying to track Josh down, and I was kind of thinking, why didn't she tell him? Uh, why didn't she tell Mike that she found his tongue? Mm. Like, he I think at that point speak, she that was point, just trying probably... to preserve his sanity yeah. because yeah. he would be useless. If... Yeah, but then because she's him the strongest of the three, down. I think that's a big part of the movie is that yeah. Heather's the only one with the wherewithal to record like a message to their parents mm. saying I'm sorry that I did this like she I think she probably knew that they were gonna die regardless yeah. at that point point. and I think at that point they just saw an opportunity to and that's a really harrowing sequence yeah. and they go into that house and there's the children's like handprints all yeah. along the wall it's been so brilliantly foreshadowed with those interviews at the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie, which I agree, Chad. It, the, some of the best stuff is yeah. those interviews. Uh, it's a little off subject, I guess, but uh, um, two examples of game-changing horror movies wherein the directors never did anything else of significance, save for like one little like questionable one. Mm-hmm. This one, which was 1999, and I would say like another huge horror movie that a lot of people say is like the best, which is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If you look at Toby Hooper's output after that, the only other thing that really shows up is Poltergeist, which most people say is at least partially directed by Steven Spielberg. Oh. He did other things that sort of have cult followings. Like, I, uh... Like Eaten Alive. There's there's one about, like, space vampires <laughs> that I can't think of right now. Well, I mean, and the brothers... Or not the brothers. The two men who directed this, they've made many horror movies since then, since the Blair Witch Project. But my point is that none of them have ever, like, been anywhere nearly as profound or had yeah. any kind of strong effect. There's no... Basically, You've not made us another splash. Exactly. Yeah. And my, my question, I guess, about it is, it's very clear with this, but I think even with Texas Chainsaw, where it was so low budget, it was, you know, this kind of wild movie that didn't quite know exactly what it was going to capture, and it just mm-hmm. happened to, like, pick this moment and have this message that kind of tapped into the zeitgeist. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering if it's the same thing with Blair Witch, where these guys set up a scenario, had no idea how much it would, like affect the moment where the internet's research would be involved in the story mm-hmm. and ever since then nothing they've really done has even like remotely tapped onto it you know so it's kind of an interesting thought like some horror movies you can't really have a vision to make like it's got to be a part of the culture or something yeah. yeah it makes sense to me why the uh blair witch duo didn't really go on to anything else i remember they briefly had a tv show on fox uh, called freaky links really that what? lasted like only a few episodes and was pulled i remember seeing an episode of it and it was just very generic like oh, there's a guy in the window, but now there isn't. It was like their mm. attempt to actually write something, and oh, it didn't God. quite work. Yeah. 
But, you know, that, I think it was kind of outside of their wheelhouse also. Interesting. Oh, oh a couple Toby Hooper movies <laughs> here for you. Life Force was the one I was thinking of. He also did the second Texas Chainsaw with Dennis Hopper. Okay. The Salem's Lot made-for-TV adaptation and The Fun House, which is a favorite slasher of mine. Okay, I haven't seen But otherwise, you're, you're very much correct. Like, especially within the last 20 or so years, the only thing that I've really seen is his segment in Body Bags. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think all of those that you mentioned, like, are a varying degree of fun. Yeah. But none of them are, like, things I'm like, Yeah, oh, they're, yeah. they're not actually scary. As I opposed to, like, John you. Carpenter, where there's, like, a ton of, like, yeah. excellent movies. Along yeah. with some ones that are, like, yeah. more of that style, like, fun. Yeah. But there's some great ones. And, you know, you know all, John Carpenter, uh, Wes Craven, a few, like, solid yeah. movies, yeah. you know. Well, films that everyone has heard of, even yeah. if they haven't seen it. Exactly. This, <laughs> this kind of reminds me of a Richard Linklater, like, boyhood-type movie. It seems like he would have come up with that idea to send actors into the woods with cameras yeah. and it would be way more like intellectual sort of like tape. yeah i guess yeah. kind of um that's just more like yeah it's like one room but it's like i kind of wish there was this exact movie but with like actors i loved mm-hmm. improvising with like richard linklater doing weird shit around them <laughs> although that's part of its power is the that fact that they're know. unknowns it's that true. didn't really do a whole lot afterwards it's very true I believe uh, Heather Donahue now is uh, a medical marijuana grower and uh, wrote a book about her experiences. Apparently, Josh is still Josh is still a working actor, but I think that Mike has moved on to more crew type stuff. Heather Donahue, after Blair Witch, went on to do a Freddie Prince Jr. movie (laughs) that we watched and was not good. It's terrible. No fault of Heather's, but it was a terrible movie. It was actually based in Berkeley. It was about Cal students. They actually got to film on the campus, which is a rare uh, get for a a film crew. And uh, but there are some unbelievable sequences where they would just walk to the Golden Gate Bridge, and they'd be like, "Meet me at the bridge." So they'd they'd meet at the Golden Gate Bridge and then be like well, I gotta get back for class but it's like the sun is setting it's like there's no you're not you're not gonna get there in 10 minutes how quaint it had Jason Biggs in it oh, and uh, who was the girl in it I can't this remember is, it was bad this is a terrible tangent we're on but now I just have to know Oh, it was. It came out the year after Blair Witch. So 2000. Oh, yeah. Claire Forlani. That and sounds I, familiar. The other reason I chose this movie, as you mentioned, is because it's being. It's not remade. They're making like a re- reboot sequel where they're pretending that the second Blair Witch Project movie, Book of Shadows, never existed, and that the movie that's coming out this year was this is the only sequel. It's like the brother of Heather is going back into the woods to find her. Oh, weird. It's a combination of, like, they have cameras, I think, but it's also shot like a film. Um, The two significant things about that, for one, it's directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett, who did The Guest and You're Next, which are, like, by far two of my favorite movies of the past, like, three years or whatever. Yeah, certainly for horror movies, I agree. So that's interesting. But also, I would say that besides Scream 4, where Scream came out when I was very young... And it was effective. Like, I remember hearing a babysitter tell me a ghost story version of Scream before I saw the movie. <laughs> so that means I didn't really, like, live through Scream, you know? Yeah. Like, it happened outside of, like, my knowledge of it until later on. But this is the first movie where it's, like, kind of a remake that I'm now living through. Where, like, I lived through the original, I experienced what it meant, and now they're remaking it. But it's funny because, whereas with, like, Freddy and Jason, when there's remakes, it seems like most fans get really angry. 
and feel like kind of like the Ghostbuster situation where like they're yeah. taking our childhood. I'm like so happy that they're remaking it. I'm like because I feel like I think there's it's a actually a sequel though that well, is in universe. It's, it's true, I, but I'm just saying like inherently speaking, it's been 20 years. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's a reboot of vibe. It's a film. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I hear you. Even yeah. though they're not like pretending the original movie didn't happen, it's like inherently it's a reboot it's a redo of the story they're taking yeah. the identity of the Blair Witch and trying to like see if they could probably start another three of them or something yeah. I'm guessing yeah. but I'm kind of excited that just because I think this movie is a great movie when you take into context what it was like to see it at that time um, with this outside information mm-hmm. but watching it knowing all that sometimes it does drag a little bit yeah. it could be a little bit like uh, I know this is them improvising so uh, having like an actual really interesting director and writer at the helm of what is a really cool idea and like a great mythology yeah i, I think it could be like a really good movie so it's kind of cool interesting and while we're on the subject of sequels we have to mention that book of shadows <laughs> yeah. blair witch 2 which i've seen have you seen this chad i have but it, i saw it probably on like fx when i was in high school or something like that oh. so i don't really remember it I didn't realize it came out the next year. Oh, was year. it the next year? Yeah. Oh. And it's interesting because the guy who... I, I read a piece about this. Um, uh, it might have even been like a Chuck Klosterman oh. article about Metallica. Um, mm-hmm. Because Joe Berlinger um, directed the Metallica film. Um, is it... The documentary, right? Oh, Some Kind of Monster. Oh, some Kind of Monster. And he sort of did that movie as a way of like... get. I mean, that was after Book of Shadows, but he did it as a way of like you know, getting his career back together because apparently like this was a movie that was shot as very much like a cash grab. It was $15 million budget. It's not a found footage movie. I don't remember a whole lot about it, but um, I also know that it was recut heavily. Mm. He, the director uh, disowned it, but I'd be interested to see it again because my thought when I saw it after like, you know, just hearing how uh, poorly received it was, was like, eh, that was all right. Like, yeah. it wasn't really that bad. And uh, it, I remember it kind of added to the mythology in an interesting way. I didn't mm-hmm. find it to be really disrespectful to the original. So, yeah, I, um, I, I'll be interested to see if this new movie, uh, which I guess is just called Blair Witch. Yeah, I think so. Or, yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see if they regard that as non-canon. Or well, if they... That's what I read, is like, that's what's happening. Because okay. they're pretending that didn't happen, and this is the sequel. Which is fair enough, yeah. but... Uh, Since it failed so badly. Yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, another thing that I'd sort of like to talk about is just how divisive the first Blair Witch Project was. Like, even mm-hmm. though critics loved it, and just by looking at the box office numbers, you would think it was, like, a big success with everyone i think a lot of people left that movie theater feeling really ripped off Mm -hmm. and i remember it just like i remember reading a really great article about just sort of the other side of this phenomenon where you know just like middle america just not not really i don't want to say not getting it because everyone has their own taste Mm -hmm. um but just like just like feeling like they were expecting like a polished hollywood horror movie or they felt deceived by the marketing Mm -hmm. and i think that the fact that book of shadows tanked in large part that's because of just kind of that movement with people is that they they're just as many people hated it as Mm -hmm. loved it i was thinking about it while we were watching the movie and i was thinking about how they ended up going with this film sequel which was a weird idea if you really think about it when this movie that was so successful Mm -hmm. was successful for not being a normal movie I mean, this is kind of, I guess, the opposite of what you're saying, sort of. 
But it's kind of strange that they didn't make a sequel in a similar style. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and then ever ever since then, people have been making other found footage movies. It's just strange that, like, that was their idea for a sequel, was to make... What I recall about it was, like, a very, like, Marilyn Manson music video vibe, and, like, a lot of, like, that, like, corn-type yeah. music involved. Yeah. Like, Which was Artisan's uh, influence. Like, uh, I think the yeah, soundtrack like, was a big... Uh, push was a big push on their part which tells me that they didn't really understand the audience of yeah. the first one well it, yeah it kind of makes sense that they would do that because a big studio making mm-hmm. a sequel is not gonna want to mimic what the original did of getting yeah. improvisers and putting them in the woods They're like what would be better is if this was like a normal movie but yeah. with that stigma of being like successful so it'll be huge you know yeah, yeah and you know and that's very much like i think that there's just an old kind of cliche about Hollywood trying to replicate Mm -hmm. the success of a little movie and just not getting it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, how much did they make that Blair Witch movie for? Oh, $60,000. Well, let's do the same thing for $60 million. It'll be so much bigger. (laughs) Tom Cruise is Heather. Yeah. And it's like it never works, and yet they keep doing it. And it's it's funny to me because in my reading about this sequel, um, which I think is still interesting and has merit as just Mm -hmm. sort of like a curiosity. It's own film almost, if you didn't think about it. They reached out to the original filmmakers. I mean, that's not to say that they would have had carte blanche if they'd Mm -hmm. done their thing. But they kind of refused, saying they wanted the initial buzz to die down. And oh. Artisan was very gung ho about like, let's crank something out next I didn't know year. That, that hmm. makes sense now. And so, in a way, they kind of like killed the golden goose or <laughs> whatever you want to say. Because if like you two uh, <laughs> coming off uh, rattle and hum, if they just gone away for a while, take a break, and then come back with something crazy, which is kind of what's happening now with mm-hmm. uh, this new film. It sounds like. Yeah. Uh, they went away for a long while. Yeah, you want to wait for a long while and get someone like an Adam Wingard who yeah. has a vision uh, and just, you know, do something different but the same. <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, what would have made sense to me if... And now that I know that the original directors weren't behind it, it makes a lot more sense now. But I was like, it would have been really cool if they would have, a year later, maybe two years later, said, had an extended sequel, even though now we would know it was real but just pretend we're still in that world, kind of do what the fake documentary did, and maybe say that, oh, the footage wasn't found. It was, like, mailed to somebody. And then you have this, like, what? And then maybe every month since the movie was released in theaters, new footage was mailed to the police of Mar- this place in Maryland. Like, just, ex- like, expand on it. You can even yeah. bring back Heather, you know? Like, they could totally have played this out into, like, oh, a yeah. trilogy of just what the story of that weekend or that week was. Yeah. And it could have continued. in the way that Paranormal Activity yeah. kind of took one little thing where not that much happened and then mm-hmm. made, like, you know, six of them or whatever. Yeah. So, I, I, it's you know, that's easily to say now. It's been 20 years and I can, like, you know, it's like Monday morning quarterback times a million. But yeah. it's like, oh, uh, that could have been really effective if they would have just, like, just carried it on a little bit, you know. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna say one more thing about Book of Shadows, and I'll let it go. <laughs> you really want to just stick but, on the Book of Shadows? <laughs> this might have to be its own episode at this point. But in the early days of DVD commentary, apparently they got the director Berlinger, who was super pissed off about what, what? they'd done with the movie. Apparently, if you listen to this commentary with Joe Berlinger, uh, he's just ripping the movie the entire time and talking about all the cuts the studio made, which is probably why. To this day, you get disclaimers on DVDs or Blu-rays that say that the commentary does not reflect 
the thoughts of the filmmaker. Wow. Like, Why did they even yeah. release that commentary? You'd think they just would have kept it to themselves. Well, it no ma- I mean, that movie is kind of a wash at that point. It makes uh, me want to go out and get a copy of the DVD just to listen to the commentary. Right yeah, now. probably. I'm totally wow. down to do that. That's really fascinating. It seems like the same executives who were in charge of you know, editing the commercials at the beginning of this VHS. <laughs> we're also in charge of that commentary track. They're like, I heard the first five minutes. He said, hi, we're good. That's crazy. Oh, my God. All right, so I feel like we've barely <laughs> talked about the actual movie, Blair Witch. But, we've talked around it a lot. Uh, but one thing that I really had forgotten about this movie was uh, the fact that they're just so at each other's throats, mm. like, from the get-go. Yeah. And that's very much, like, the middle of the movie, is just them getting into these, like, shouting matches with each other. Yeah. I thought it felt really natural, because you mm. would be at each other's throats. I've been lost on a hike in the woods, and it got dark, and I remember how angry we were at each other, and it was, like, storming, and I was just, like, sitting there relating to it. Because mm-hmm. I was like, yep, yep. That's totally, yep, yeah. I think that's kind of like the benefit of, as we were talking about earlier, with having what made this movie special be that there's actually actors stuck in the woods, is that you feel that vibe, even like in a, on a road trip, you feel that way. If you're stuck yeah. in a car with like three people, even if you're stopping every hour to like go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. you have that like, you're kind of sweaty, you know, mm-hmm. it's very close quarters, you just get kind of irritated, you're tired, and like imagine that compounded that many times. Yeah. And you're getting freaked out, and you're afraid, and people harassing you in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, things that might be a witch. It's in a way, messed up. <laughs> in a way, this is the closest thing to actual found footage because yeah. the directors had no idea what they're going to be bringing into the editing room. It could have just been a wash, mm-hmm. and they could have had nothing usable, yeah. like. They had just taught these actors how to use these cameras. It could have just been black. Like, yeah. it, like that would have, that's a distinct possibility, which is probably they, why they gave them, like, a handy cam and a 16-millimeter mm. camera yeah. as, like, an insurance policy. If you really think about it, unless the, the directors had more say than we know and, like, maybe gave them ideas in advance or, like, yeah. a book of ideas of what to do, the fact just, like, the shot of her holding the camera with the confession... And then the way the filming of the house at the end, going inside and yeah. seeing the guy in the corner, assuming that those weren't directed, which maybe they were, maybe parts of this were directed. Which would make some sense. They yeah. did receive notes that okay. they tracked down that they would hide from the other actors mm-hmm. as to what was going to happen next. But yeah, you're right. Like that iconic yeah. moment with the confession just seems too natural. And if that was if that was Heather who just was like. I'm gonna do this like it's kind of it, it really goes into how like wow what a magical surreal moment that really that actor directed one of the most iconic scenes in like horror movie history yeah by accident sort of you know like maybe yeah. she didn't realize how horrible that shot was and also I mean it was a lot of commitment for her to like really like have her like blowing her nose practically on the camera like it's very that, like, I was sitting so, there yeah. thinking yeah. that is impressive because I, I caught it while we were watching it her hair looks fine through the uh-huh. whole movie yeah. like after six days in the woods <laughs> it's not greasy it does make you wonder if they had like showers yeah. or basic they amenities had cleaning the up. legend yeah. may be different from like the yeah, actual facts yeah, about the kind of upkeep they had but she did like full blown emotional snot flowing mm-hmm. out of her nose for that scene and that kind of made it more powerful yeah. it's just yeah. so raw and like you don't see like a-list actors you know mm-hmm. when you cry like yeah you get all snotty too and you, you never look, see like you know, tom cruise looking like that or they something. still look beautiful in yeah because they're using like tear droppers and stuff yeah i think like most of the criticisms i would have of the movie 
would be criticisms because it because it wasn't being like creative enough in mm-hmm. like the way they interact but that's what makes it feel real yeah because in my head i'm like oh wouldn't one of the, these guys try to hit on her and that never happens but that, like, I was kind of thinking, yeah. like, there's no sexual tension mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie, which is actually kind of refreshing well, exactly. for horror. And it seems more, like, in some ways, I feel like in reality, that would kind of happen to some degree, or he yeah. would say something behind her back. But I, kinda... I know something about that. Oh. That, that that originally, Heather and Josh were scripted to have been, oh. like, an item, but that was kind of thrown out, either in the editing room or just... Just it just didn't really turn into anything, but I I, I agree. Like that's a great mm-hmm. aspect of it, and just like all the characters for the most part are either annoying or kind of generally like unlikable and kind of dumb, and not yeah. in like a cliche horror movie way where they're like over the top dumb. But the guys are like kind of guy like stooges. Know, yeah. yeah, they're kind yeah. of like not that much to say, not very interesting. Heather is like trying really hard to be like in charge, but she's kind of coming off flustered and kind of like overbearing. Yeah. yeah. And it's like all of this when you're watching it, you're like, oh, these could be real people, totally. Like yeah. this isn't scripted characters. You know, this isn't a scripted scenario where like, oh, and this is the part where they have sex and the guy gets jealous or something, yeah. which would be a very like movie thing to do. Also, like the movie thing to do, she would have been topless oh, yeah, <laughs> at totally. some point. Yeah, like, for sure. yeah. I mean, we saw that in the the stepfather when yeah. she's supposed to be underage. And you mean the shower it. scene? Yeah. yeah. I watched that recently because you mentioned it. That shocked me because the whole time they portray her as such a young kid. She's so uh-huh. innocent. And then there's like this creepy like zooming in. And I was like, whoa. Like, it really yeah. freaked me out. It t- yeah, it takes me out of the movie. And this and movie like, didn't yeah. go there, which was kind of refreshing. Yeah, It was totally. just kind of like, she was just herself. Yeah. It wasn't about her being a, se- a sex object or anything. Yeah, not at all really the whole time. She's very like neutral, kind of sisterly with yeah. them, I would say. You know, yeah. All right, so we've talked quite a bit about Blair Witch 2 <laughs> and the advertisements on the Blair Witch Project VHS tape, um, and a little bit about the movie itself. <laughs> a lot about Pokemon Go. Yes, uh, we're, we're trying to stay current here on Tape Heads. Um, so Chad, as you may remember from the Saint episode, we have oh, yeah. a system here. <laughs> Do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? I'd say definitely buy it. It's it's a of all the horror movies to have on VHS, this is in the top ten to have on VHS. I would say buy it as well. I think this is a historically important, just not just a horror movie, but just cultural experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that there have been many attempts to mimic it. None of them have really had this kind of power. Even things like Cannibal Holocaust, which are said to be more extreme because <laughs> they killed animals, like. Like, that stuff doesn't really interest me. Like, just the raw humanity of the Blair Witch Project and just the story around the making of it and the marketing of it is just so fascinating to me. Yeah. I'm also a buy-it. It's actually, it's 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 one of the horror movies that I, I really like. Although I was sitting here the whole time trying to think of a way to dr- bring up the green room because I like mm, that so much. I just saw it for the first time, so yeah. Um... But I, I like that this is a movie that manages to be scary without using gratuitous violence or anything. It it, it kind of steps above that a little bit, or it, it does its own thing. And it doesn't really um, fall into the usual trappings. I mean, you like don't really see anything till the end. No, like, and you don't even yeah. see the witch. Exactly, like they could have easily thrown in like a hand. You know what yeah. I mean? Just like a lot of easy things that if I was directing, I probably would have done that. I feel like yeah. we gotta see like a hand or like a creepy face at one point. The fact that they just don't shadow, do it, it's pretty ballsy. Like, yeah. 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 That reminds me, like there is this uh, 
Um, there are these like action figures that that came out like the what? the monsters of horror. Like there's a Michael Myers one and there's a Freddy. It was oh. this whole series that you'd like find at Tower Records and oh, stuff. And yeah. I just look at them. And uh, I remember they released they released a Blair Witch action figure, even though you never see her in the movie. They're just like this crone. You should oh, look weird. it up. Like because I was imagining like them selling the little stick figures. Yeah, yeah. that'd be creepy on its own. That yeah. might have been like one of her accessories. Yeah. Like how a GI Joe she's comes like with a gun. One. Yeah. We didn't even talk about those stick things. The, that's the best part. That's of the kind movie. of the most iconic. Well, I mean, along with the confession, like that's another iconic image. I would say that's why I'm excited for this movie to not be remade, but like rebooted with a sequel, because there's so much imagery in this movie that's so interesting and kind of fresh and cool yeah. that I'm like, I would like to see what a director would do with that as like a plot point to where yeah. like maybe that's actually an effective thing where there's like a witch involved yeah. you know what yeah. I mean like when, you I have to think to about say. like what are those sticks like is she sitting down making them or do they materialize whenever she has a new victim because she collects uh, yeah. the voices of her victims oh. clearly I mean that's part of what's effective about it is like when you think about it there's a lot of things that could really be happening and you don't yeah. really know it seems like she or maybe even a group of people do that as like those are kind of like their spells inside of them or like yeah. they're like cursing them by putting them around them like it, the piles of rocks yeah, too it's very pagan you know um which is cool like it's it's very if i know you've seen it have you seen um kill list no it's a really good movie and basically what i like i mean i like a lot of things about that movie but the very end of the movie takes a really crazy turn into blair witch territory and there's some imagery with like straw masks and kind of stick very Wiccan Wiccan objects that taps into what this movie just kind of like barely hints at. And at the end of Kill Us, they do it in like a full blown climactic, horrific way, which is kind of what I'm excited to see if they do with this new movie, taking all these images that were that not much really happened with them and then turn it into mm-hmm. like an actual horror movie. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. Or it could be Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows and nobody <laughs> like it. I don't know. And it won't be filled with Marilyn Manson. Hope, well, who knows? Hopefully not. <laughs> Make a cameo. Yeah. All right. Well, triple buy it. We've uh, saved ourselves from the wrath of the Blair Witch <laughs> another day. So far. So, Chad, you talked a little bit about your wine last oh, time yeah. you were on, a sh- on the show. Yeah. And a lot has happened with Method Sauvage since. Yeah, Why don't totally. you tell us about some of the great stuff that's going on? Yeah, it's been cool. I've been making more wine every year since recording that episode. Um, and right now, it's being poured at a lot of interesting retail shops and restaurants, particularly in the Bay Area, particularly in California. But right now it's at Chez Panisse, which is very cool. It's I mean, amazing. Like yeah, Chez Panisse is a world-renowned restaurant. Yeah. And Everyone who's anyone that comes to Berkeley totally. goes to Chez Panisse. The thought that they could order up a bottle exactly. of Method Sauvage is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, I read uh, a book about Chez Panisse when I was in high school. And I remember when I first went to Berkeley visiting friends, I would drive by it and just look at it because I just thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's like what it means to me just as a person. So it's very exciting. Um, but yeah, if you want to check out my website, methodsauvage.com, you can buy some wine for most states. And I can All check right. it to you. So yeah. And it's also at local cellar. There's a place yeah. in LA that has it now too, a right? restaurant in LA called Hatchet Hall, um, Ordinaire in Oakland, Ramen Shop in Oakland. Yeah, but yeah, if you want to find out where it is when you listen to this, assuming it's not right now, just email me through the website and I'll... Uh, I'll clue you in where you can get some. Yeah. Yeah. 
And next time I'm on the show, I'm going to bring the Phantom. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's required. He's made a blood oath. <laughs> if I have to record it from a DVD onto a VHS, <laughs> That's it will cheating. happen. If you, you won't know. <laughs> the, the witch will come. Oh, there no. will be stick figures uh, around your house. Yeah, once we once it's transmitted onto the VHS, it'll just be footage of me being tortured by the witch in the future. It'll oh, be crazy. Shit. Yeah. But no, I'm gonna I'm gonna contact that buyer that seller on Amazon, and we're gonna have them reship it to me this time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear that I've seen it at Amoeba before. It's just popular. It had the hologram cover where oh, he was I, punching at yep. you, and it's a slam That's, evil. I actually, my parents probably still have it. We oh. had the, we had the one with the hologram cover. I think. If you guys still have it, I'll buy it from I'll... you for seven ninety five, <laughs> which is what I already paid this guy and. The East Coast for it. The next time I go home, I'll check. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. I totally forgot about that. When you said hologram cover, I could yes. picture it because it has the ring on there. You know, Chad and I are both Billy Zane's friend on Instagram. Yes. Uh, friend, friend on yeah, Instagram. We're friends. Follower, I should yeah. say. We're part of the movement. Uh, he's pretty active on Instagram. Very I active. feel like if we if we you know DM'd him and said, "Hey, got a VHS copy of the Phantom," he might like delete it, delete us from yeah. his <laughs> account. Don't even ask him to be on the audio yeah. in the episode. Just be like, "Hey, could you send us a copy?" <laughs> he comes and hands delivers it, and we're like, "Thanks, we got to record now." Could you throw Doesn't in a copy work. of Demon Knight too? Because that's my favorite. So now you're talking. So if you're listening, Billy Zane. <laughs> Probably about a year from now, we need you on the podcast in Berkeley or wherever you are. We'll come. Yeah, yeah, within reason. Within reason. He's a he's a globe trotting. It's man. true. He seems like he spends a lot of time in Europe, wearing dainty, beautiful, like you know, tailored suits and overcoats. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a well dressed gentleman. Yeah. Sean, what are we watching next episode? Well, we're in the dog days of summer, <laughs> and it's time to go to camp. <gasps> Camp Crystal Lake, that is. Oh. We will be joining Adrian King, Betsy Palmer, and a little-known actor named Kevin Bacon. I have actually never seen Friday the 13th. Oh. Um, I decided to do the first movie in the series just because I feel like it's just a fun standalone horror movie. A lot of the more iconic elements come in later in the series, but... Um, I think it's a it's a fun summer horror movie and very much an independent movie that like Blair Witch was followed up with a lot of like studio mandated sequels and things that uh, if they were more iconic they are never quite as scary as the original for my money. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can learn more about us and our podcast at tapeheadspodcast.com. You can also email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback so you can rate and review us on iTunes. All right. Well, that's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. And I'm Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time.